Van Halen full blast and top down. Part two of our Van Halen tribute. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Metal Shop Podcast with me, Big Frog. Me, Mike Castleberry. And this week we are doing part two of our tribute to Van Halen, which really should be part one because this is the one that we've been waiting for and hopefully everybody's been waiting for. Regardless of how you feel about Sammy or the other eras of Van Halen, obviously this is the most important era. Yeah, I mean, this is the era where Eddie was the dude. He totally reinvented guitar for a lot of people mm -hmm. and was a huge influence just on everybody afterwards, just about. Right. But uh, <laughs> I wanted to, I did want to talk about the my little opening on this one because I thought it was funny because we're in a Van Halen group on Facebook mm -hmm. and they, they changed it, which is funny because half the posts for about a week were like, is this the same group? Yeah. <laughs> That was Van Halen, nineteen seventy eight to nineteen eighty four, and now it says it's nineteen seventy eight to twenty twenty. Yeah. I don't want to talk about Sammy, right. <laughs> but uh, I came across because we're in that Van Halen group. I showed you this when I guess you and Lonnie were having a good fucking laugh about it. With uh, there's another Van Halen group. It was Van Halen full blast and top down with three exclamation points. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess whoever made that group thought it sounded cool. It just sounds like a dude that never, uh, he peaked in the eighties. Right. The thing that made me laugh of, aside from the fun, the silly ass name was, uh, the about, and it's a, this group is dedicated to classic slash current Van Halen only all posting a Sammy slash Van Hagar is forbidden Right. Unless it's derogatory in nature. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Any Hagar. pro Hagar sympathizers will be dealt with swiftly. Right. Enjoy and Dave bless. Damn. See, <laughs> like that's next level. That's where I keep saying sometimes I love Van Halen, but man, sometimes it's like that. I don't know, dude. It's like sublime for fucking old dudes or some shit. Like, <laughs> part of the charm of Van Halen has always been that there's a tongue-in-cheek nature not to be taken too seriously or whatever. And motherfuckers take that shit seriously, though. Yeah. It's like, no, we're, we're seriously <laughs> having a good time, man. 
<laughs> like, yeah, it's <laughs> look, I, we obviously, we both prefer the Roth era for right. a multitude of reasons, but <laughs> these guys are dorks. <laughs> they take it a little too serious sometimes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it. There's whenever you change up a singer in a band, you're going to have that kind of shit. And, Especially when the band changed so much of their style to suit mm-hmm. the new singer. Mm-hmm. Or did they? Or We're going to get they? into that a little bit today. Right. <laughs> that That is the question because, um, you know, I was reading some things and uh, Eddie really thinks that like 1984 was the first new Van Halen album because... It was the first one that he produced, even though it says Ted Templeman on the on the thing, Eddie actually produced that album. And he it was the first one that was recorded at his home studio where he had control of everything. So basically there was a change and you can, you know, with the keyboards and with the with the production and everything, it was a departure, but I don't think I still c- would consider that classic van halen and the change came after that but you know eddie was there so he knows what his thinking was and evidently his thinking was changing already by that time yeah well i would argue since we we're let's just jump right into it we're jumping into 1984 right you know um you had already you'd mentioned in the the last episode when you first heard it you weren't a huge fan of jump right you didn't like all that keyboard Mm-mm. Um, it kind of had a different flavor than what you're used to in your Van Halen. So it's understandable. I wouldn't say it's like new Van, obviously it's not new Van Halen. This shit came out in 1984. Right. There's a transition going on in this album though. Mm-hmm. Look, like look at songs like, uh, I'll wait. Right. You know, that's a huge departure also. From the kind of classic Van Halen sound, it's also synth-heavy. Right. It's kind of ballady, but not quite. It's about as ballady as you're going to get with Dave. Right. You know, since you uh, brought that one up, I actually wrote down that that one is the first song that I thought could have been like a Sammy song. Mm-hmm. It's Like you said, it's different from the classic ones. It has the keyboard intro. It has that like bouncing synth riff. So it could be where Sammy could, I could easily hear Sammy singing over that song.
but it's Dave, and it's and it's Dave singing in one of the many ways that he does about love. And you know, because Dave writes love songs, but they're not really about love in the traditional sense. They're kind of more yeah. like I fell in love with this chick this week, and that's what this is about. Yeah. And so in this one, it's like he's falling in love with some chick that he sees in a magazine or whatever. Seems like that. But that's just one of the many ways that Dave has a different take on the love song, you know? And that's his own style. Yeah. Dave, it's like we talked about with Kiss. A lot of times, Dave is using a love as a euphemism. Right, right, right. <laughs> fucking... Right, for sure. You know, I love this chick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you loved her for a couple minutes at least, you know. <laughs> right. You know, that's kind of his vibe, you know. And, you know, we're, we'll get get to it. Usually when the word love is in the title, it's not a love song. Right, right. <laughs> but, you know, but Dave had his own unique way of doing it. It was the 80s or the late 70s, depending on. It was a misogynistic time especially in rock and roll and rock and roll lyrics or whatever. But Dave, the way Dave did it had a charm about it, you know, and chicks dug him. So that also makes it more um, palatable, more uh, charming. Another interesting thing about, oh, wait, I didn't notice this until uh, I was looking at it right now. One of the few songs that I can think of with Van Halen, um, aside from cover songs where somebody else has a writing credit on it that's not in the band oh that's uh, it has a michael mcdonald uh has a writing credit for that's right for i'll wait he is with uh the doobie brothers and steely dan right that's a trip i'm gonna look more into that and find out how that went down but yeah i actually love michael mcdonald he's a hit over here we just actually watched the doobie brothers induction to the hall of fame they just got in. Yeah. That was another Michael McDonald joined later on in the band, but, you know, also uh, changed the sound of the band. So, you know, but that was more of an evolution. Anyway, so I, I really am interested to, to see how he uh, appears on this. Did any of our picks get in? <laughs> I, no. I think. No. We got skunk just about, man. Uh, well, you know what? Trent Reznor did. Trent Reznor got in. Um, but it wasn't a good year for, for hard rock uh, this time. Well, yeah. And it trips me out that, like, you know, that Judas Priest, I mean, like, Judas Priest has so many albums and so many classic, even radio songs and stuff. And other bands are getting in that, you know, have far less than them. Whatever. Um it's always been a thing, you know, uh, that heavy metal doesn't get much love from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or the Grammys or a lot of other things, award-type things. But, you know, whatever. Even then, the Nine Inch Nails, as influential as Nine Inch Nails was and all that, I, I mean, the body of work that Judas Priest has should seem to trump that, but whatever. I guess not. Yeah, it happens. We had our whole episode where we really thought, we're like, this feels like the year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're like, man, they got Motorhead. They got, right. <laughs> you know, they, you know, they got Priest on it. They got, you know, we really, we really thought at least one of the bands we really dug had a shot, but maybe they all split the votes or something. Right. Shit. Maybe the trick is, is only one 
really cool metal band gets nominated at a time. Right. So everybody can rally behind it. Right. But, uh, hey, this is the Van Halen episode. Van Halen is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. So at least we got at least we got to have that a while back, even though it's so fucking dumb, especially because they did the reunion with Roth after the fact. The fact that they wouldn't they didn't actually play. Right. You know, it was the, the only members of the band to play on stage were fucking Sammy Hagar and Mike Anthony. Right. And they weren't even in the band anymore. Right. And that's another <laughs> so. trip about, well, getting in this year, I guess it's a consolation if you didn't get in this year. It's kind of cool because it's almost like if you graduated from high school this year, you didn't get to go to your prom, you didn't go to grad night, you didn't get any of the shit that you normally would get other than fucking diploma, right? So basically everybody that got in this year, they got their diploma, they didn't get to play, there was no crowd, you know, so it would almost it almost would be cooler to get in next year. Yeah. You hear that, super <laughs> seniors? It's okay if you don't graduate on time. Just flunk out this year so yep. you can go to prom next year and be That's like 19 years about. old. And <laughs> but 1984, like you said, uh, it was a trip. At that time, I had just gotten back from Spain. While I was in Spain, I got a little bit more metal. Like the guys that I met there were into a little bit heavier shit. And for whatever reason, Van Halen wasn't huge in Europe at that time. I looked it up later and come to find out that they really didn't tour in Europe other than a couple of um, uh, when they opened for Sabbath in the really, really early days. And then they did a couple of theater tours, which were only like between 16 and 19 dates. And then after that, I guess when they couldn't make the jump to arenas, they were like, fuck it. If we can't tour arenas over there, we're just not even going to go. So they didn't go back to Europe other than to play festivals. They didn't tour in Europe for the whole rest of classic Van Halen. So maybe that could be part of why they weren't so big there. And when I say they weren't big, I don't mean that people didn't know who Van Halen was. Everybody knew who Van Halen was. But you didn't see like Van Halen back uh, patches on Levi's jackets like you did Motorhead or even Saxon. Who, you know, you would never think that Saxon would be bigger in Europe than Van Halen was, but they for sure were, you know? Well, I mean, Saxon was a European band, you know? At the end of the day, Van Halen, despite having two, you know, European immigrants in the band, um, you know, they're an, Amer they're an American band. Right. They're a very American phenomenon. They became, they're world famous. I mean, they had big world tours and shit. It's so it's kind of funny that they didn't really fuck with Europe as much, but they'd go to like yeah. Japan and Australia, places like that, you know, but I think there's kind of a elitism in Europe. I think they tend to prefer right. bands, you know, European bands over American ones. I couldn't tell you how big like Kiss was in Europe either, you know, because again, like you said, very American and Van Halen is very, I mean, I, I would say that. Van Halen is like the definition of American hard rock. Oh, yeah. No, that's aggressively American. Uh. <laughs> yeah, totally. So when I got back, I was like, oh, yeah, Van Halen, you know, whatever. And then, you know, watching MTV and they announced, oh, new Van Halen's coming out, new Van Halen. And I was like, yes, stoked, right? And then I hear, dun, 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 and I'm like, uh. 
No, what? And, you know, I was really, really, really disappointed. And then I heard some of the other songs and I was like, okay, you know, fucking Panama, it's awesome. Hot for Teacher, awesome. But even in retrospect now, when I listen to a song like Jump, it's obviously not the best Van Halen song, but it's a cool song. And the solo is great because here you are with a guitar hero, like, you know, Eddie Van Halen, ultimate guitar hero. And in in a song that he knows is going to be the video, is going to be the first single, is going to be all that shit. He gives himself a 15 second solo. And within that 15 seconds, there's harmonics and tapping and legato shit and everything that Eddie Van Halen is known for in that short little thing. And it's like, boom, damn, that like for a fucking, that's like an Eddie Van Halen soundbite, right? Yeah. And it was, it was fucking great, you know, um, perfect, really. Oh, for sure. You know, that's the thing. Is why, as, While I say 84 is kind of like a transitional period, which obviously, looking at that with, with hindsight also, with the benefit of that, knowing that Dave was not going to be in the band mm-hmm. by the end of 85. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. You still have, you know, that classic shit. Like, because uh, you have the hits, you know, you have Jump, you have Hot for Teacher, um, you have Panama, which Panama... I, I have that down. To me, that is just the most pure fun Eddie riff. Oh, yeah. I don't know what it, what it is about it. What, it's just something about the tone he got in that riff, but it has, it just screams like summer. Right. You know, like it's just a fun, Panama's a played out song for the most part, but I still smile when I hear the, the intro, you know. Right. You got the classic, you know, Dave talking, which is Dave is the only dude that can talk in a song and make it cooler. Yeah, I, if anybody else tried to do it, I wouldn't see that going well. Yeah, no, Sammy tried to do it in, on 5150 yeah. and I didn't like it. I was like, shut up, you fucking nerd. Like, that. I th- I'm glad they kind of moved away from that because it did feel like 5150 also has a transitional right. flavor to it where you could tell there's sort of, it feels like there's some leftover Roth era you mm-hmm. know riffs and ideas mm-hmm. and sammy's kind of filling in there and so you got him you know right talking on the songs and kind of doing the dave thing but not being dave and it doesn't work and then they played more and more to his strengths as they went on but yeah that's there's kind of two transitions in van halen like you got you know you're transitioning out with 84 you're transitioning in with 5150 and then you have OU812 is kind of the more definitive Sammy, like, this is right. what the band is vibe. But uh, uh, aside from Panama and the really fun riff, um, I'd say probably my favorite song on the whole album is Top Jimmy. I feel like that's the closest thing you get to a deep cut on that that one, because 84 is kind of the, that was the first one they had where they had a number one hit single and all that. So On that one, on Top Jimmy, I, I like, I love the intro. It's again, you know, harmonics, which um, obviously everybody's always known about harmonics, but nobody's ever used it as a cool ass intro before. 
So that's where Eddie takes something that's known, but makes it into something new that he does. It's not his best solo on that, but it also has like a lot of, you know, there's a lot of cool things or a lot of things that I always attribute to Dave, right? Like, for example, like at the end, oh, Jimmy, that's got to be Dave. <laughs> and I think that all the time, whether it's the, the raps that he does, whether it's the beginning of Everybody Wants Some, I can see Dave going, oh, we need some jungle drums right here, you know, you know, just weird things that give Van Halen a personality that the band has. I think a lot of that shit comes from Dave. Yeah. Oh, I've just pulled up a, an article about the real story behind Top Jimmy. <laughs> so I guess it's about this guy, James Koenig, who earned his nickname working at the top taco stand outside of AM, A&M Records in Hollywood. Was also a regular performer with the band Top Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs. Oh, wow. So it's just some... Some dude that... I had heard it was about Jimmy Page. That's weird. No, it's just some dude that was in a band that Roth thought was cool. So it's like, a, you know, the whole thing is about a rags to riches, you know, right. story about some dude that was just in a band that got, you know, obviously Chop Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs never right. blew up. But I guess Roth even performed with them on stage at one point in the 80s. That's cool. That's, I didn't even know that. Just a dude that Roth liked and threw, a, threw some love to. Speaking of which, have you heard about Jim Dandy? Oh, the dude that uh, uh, Dave basically took his entire yeah from. <laughs> yeah. The, he was in Black Oak, Arkansas, and I had no idea about this guy because I was never into Black Oak, Arkansas. Although I know Tommy Aldridge was in that band, and I see things about them, but I never listened to them or anything like that, so I didn't know about this guy. But going back and looking at it, I can see that you know. Very much like uh, Randy Rhodes, if you see pictures of him, and then you see pictures of Mick Ronson mm -hmm. from a different angle, it almost looks like it could be the same dude. That's the same way with this guy and David Lee Roth. So it, yeah. you can tell that he did like pretty much. Uh, but the dude, um, Jim Dandy, in interviews is like, nah. He's like, yeah, he saw what I did, and he liked it, and he whatever took. He's like, but he totally took it to a way higher level than I ever did. So that's cool that, you know, that he would be um, cool enough to say that, you know? Yeah, well, you know, Dave even got some of his stage moves from fucking Ozzy Osbourne, you know? Like, uh, that, you know, back when Ozzy was a little more spry, you can find some pictures of Ozzy on stage doing, you know, a jump kick on, you know, and shit right, like that, right. you know? And they toured with Sabbath around that time, so... That's true. So what music is, man. You take shit that you're influenced by and kind of turn it into your own right. thing. So any more you want to say about 1984? I think I told my story about how the first time I actually bought the album, it was at a, I bought a cassette tape at a... Uh, swap meet type of thing? Yeah, swap meet type thing. An estate sale. That's what I was going for. There used to be this place across the street from me. It's an estate sale in the sense that I think it's just like whenever people fucking died or just needed to get rid of shit. Right. They just took it to this place that was literally right across the street from me in Spring Valley and would just give it to them or get something for it. And it was kind of like it's kind of like a secondhand store, except for it's just kind of in like mm -hmm. a warehouse thing. And we yeah, me and my brother and our neighbor used to go there 
all the time just because you could dig up some random mm-hmm. shit, you know. You can find some, you know, we'd find something cool to get my mom for Christmas, you know, or you might find like a really old Beatles record. Right. I was going through it and I found a cassette, a 1984, and that was in sometime in the mid 90s. So I got that. And so when I was telling my friend Sean, who he was very excited that I I brought him up in uh, the last episode, by the way. Oh, cool. uh, Because he is the one that had owned... uh, Van Halen 3 and warned me about it but um <laughs> yeah in high school I remember telling him like, hey I went and bought 1984 uh, I got a cassette so it's like the uh, OG how people were listening to it in 84 <laughs> totally <laughs> he's like hell totally. yeah he's like hell yeah dude and I I, li- I did listen to shit out of that but it really god going trying to go back to things like that after having not only having gone through CDs but like being in the digital age like, mm-hmm. just the fucking, uh when you want to skip a song and you got to do the fast forward and then rewind and fast forward and rewind, that's a, right. uh, it's the worst. And you end up ruining your tape that way, too. But Right. So that's how, yeah. Well, you know, uh, actually, on 1984, when I, was, when I was writing my notes down and shit, the last two songs, Girl Gone Bad and House of Pain, are really songs that because, like what you just said, you had to kind of hear the whole cassette to get there. A lot of times I didn't get there, you know? So those are the songs from that album that I heard the least because sometimes I would put it on and by the time we got to Hot for Teacher or I'll Wait, I was out the door or whatever it was. And so, like you said, it's not, you can't put it on random or whatever and, and hear all this. You would hear it in that order. And because of that, some songs would be left out. So that's really why a lot of people didn't put their better songs on the second side or on the back end of the second side because some people would never hear that shit, you know? Yeah, I was the exact same way because of having the cassette tape. <laughs> yeah, Those were the two songs I listened to the least. I was usually kind of done by the time I hit um, Hot for Teacher. Um, right because i didn't even like i'll wait that much at the time i like it a lot more now it's cool for what it is right but uh we need let's move this to start we're gonna last thing in my notes for panama i have classic vh riff top down full blast (laughs) (laughs) so um so those so yeah basically um 1984 for me was a bit of a disappointment but it wasn't that big of a disappointment because Diver Down had kind of been a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah, I don't know. There's not a ton to say about Diver Down for me. It's it is easily the Van Halen album I've listened the least to. Mm-hmm. I barely consider it a, a real album because it's half of it is covers, right? And that was the whole thing. It's you know. It was, we've talked about this before, uh, way, way back when we were talking about Van Halen in an early, early episode, before we learned how to edit better and put music and shit in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was the filler. It was, they had a single that, you know, they, they cranked out, you know, Pretty Woman with the Intruder intro. They had a video right. for it. The video blew up. And this was back in the day where you can't just have a single. You know, I don't know. It's just they were just fucking around and did this thing. But the video was really popular and the song was really popular. And they said, well, we need a record to attach this to. 
mm-hmm. you guys need to get in the studio and write a record. And this is on this is kind of where it seems the band started falling apart. Right. It eventually happens after 1984, but this is where you start running mm-hmm. into Eddie's work ethic versus Dave's work ethic ethic Mm -hmm. dave was just like well fuck it let's just do a bunch of cover songs because if you got a cover song we're halfway there you know Mm -hmm. we don't have to write lyrics we don't have to do all that extra shit eddie they had stopped doing covering cover songs on their albums already at that point Mm -hmm. so they were he was like i don't want to fucking do a bunch of covers dave won out in this sense you know and the real friction happens where Eddie was having a hard time coming up with a guitar riff for Dancing in the Street. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, there's just not a guitar riff in this, man. And Dave's like, no, nah, we'll do it. But he ended up having this little, you know, little guitar, whatever he had been fucking with that he wanted to use on a on an original song. Mm-hmm. And I guess Dave pressured him or the, you know, you know, the producer or something. It ends up becoming what they put into Dancing in the Street. and. Eddie was pissed about that. He felt he felt like he wasted something that could have been a lot cooler and something else on a fucking right. cover song of Dancing in the Street, where we already had like I don't know why people were always covering this fucking song. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like we already had David Bowie and Mick Jagger doing it, and it's like it's just one of those songs like that ever you know, people were just covering around that time. You yeah. Know? Um, it's another it's another bang a gong yeah that's exactly yeah. what i was going to compare it to <laughs> yeah it just we got to do a version of this you know it's so yeah um despite all that there's cool shit in here man you know of course um, because eddie is not gonna not have cool shit exactly it does have one of those things where i didn't even realize this until recently that where have all the good times gone was also a Kinks song. I thought that right. was an original song for Van Halen for the longest time because they made it so much their own yeah. on this. And then the one, like, then you get songs like Hang 'em High where people thought it was a cover, but it was an original. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, that is a really important point. And it really goes back all the way to, to uh, before they made records and uh, they were just a local band. But everybody always said, and some people meant it in a negative way, was, well, that doesn't sound like the song. That just sounds like you guys. Yeah. You know? And they're like, well, but that's cool, though. And some people were like, well, not really. We want it to sound like the fucking song. But, of course, at the end of the day, it's much better that they were so easily able to Van Halenize whatever they touched. Yeah, I I never understood that, where people are like, oh, that doesn't sound like the original. It's like, well, just listen to the fucking original, then. Like, exactly. I never understood the point of a cover song that just sounds exactly like the original. Like, there's no... Right. It's like when um, they do that shot-for-shot shot remake of Psycho in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, this movie has no reason to exist. I can just watch Psycho. Right. And, and like you said about about Eddie, like, Diver Down, if you don't like it, if you, if you do whatever it is, it's very similar to, like, when we had... Uh, the Padres, and we have nobody but Tony Gwynn. Yeah, I remember that. But you'd still watch the Padres because you had, like, the greatest hitter of all time, and he was going to do some some cool shit, right? So that's what it's like having Eddie Van Halen in your band because 
he's one of the greatest of all time. He's going to always do some cool shit. And so even if the even if the songs are not to your greatest liking, you can still always look forward to the sounds, to the solos, to the innovations. You know, like in this one on the Cathedral, which is like a intro song or whatever, he does the um the volume knob swells, which is, you know, makes it kind of sound like a violin or like some other kind of instrument because um there's no attack. It's it's like a it sounds like a bow, mm-hmm. right? Which is something that, again, while he didn't invent it, he brought it to a higher level and did something with it that nobody had done before. So that was super cool. And, you know, and then there's other, like, fun shit on here. Big Bad Bill, you know, that's, it's a funny song. It's cool. Uh, Happy Trails at the end, you know, which I also didn't know was a cover. I assumed (laughs) it was theirs, you know, but it's some guy, Dale Evans, wrote that. So um, I, th- I figured Dave wrote that shit, but it was so much in Dave's style that, you know, whatever. But for me, the song that I like out of all of this whole album is Little Guitars and the Little Guitars intro, the classical intro, which I wish ever since from the beginning, I wish Eddie would have done a classical piece on every album. for me because when he does that it's always a highlight and it was for me with that with that intro and with that song um little guitars which i really think is the only classic van halen song on here that's not you know a cover pretty much um i will say i mean a highlight for me also was uh big bad bill is sweet william now it's just it's like it's a fun song yeah i like those like you know old timey songs like it's just this weird thing that I ended up like I ended up looking up other versions of the song it more in the original style because of this. Um so it's kind of like it's like an early 1900s type song, you know. It's got fun lyrics. It's got um right. The Van Halen brothers dad playing clarinet on it, you know. So it's kind of a the whole family's getting involved. I guess that was Dave's idea to get um uh Janjo um Jan Van Halen, Jan Van Halen on the, on that track, like he he pitched that. So it's it's interesting that as much as Eddie didn't like Dave a lot of times, Dave was like really like he he wanted to like oh no let's get your dad in on this. He plays clarinet. He's a classically trained musician also. Like he really wanted to make it work with the brothers at that point in time. Yeah. 
shut his stuff Had the whole town scared to death When he walked by, they all held their breath He's a fighting man, sure enough And then Bill got himself a wife Now he leads a different life Big Bad Bill is sweet with him now Mary life gun changed him somehow used to fear now they all call him sweet papa willie dear stronger than samson i declare till the brown-skinned woman's bobbed his hair big bad bill don't fight anymore no 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 he's doing the dishes and mopping up that floor yes he is barely used to go out drinking looking for a fight now i gotta see that sweet woman every night big bad bill is sweet william now that's it had to blow up but you know when you listen to 1984 i don't think there is a whole lot more they had they could have done as a band at that point either you know yeah kind of yeah as I say, they kind of said all they had to say for the time being and even then when they got back together when they did do an album half of it was old demos being re-recorded and then when dave did that first solo project um with a crazy from the heat was that the first one with the California yeah. girls and all that on it? It was obvious that, you know, he was going to be like a star in the video age. He made videos for all those songs. They were big hits. I didn't like any of that shit. I didn't like the direction. Um, luckily, he decided to change directions after that when he got Vi and Billy Sheehan and did a more rock Van Halen-ish thing. But if he if the next album would have been like that first EP was, I wasn't going to like it, you know. So at that time, I was like, well, shit, which one's going to who's going to fail harder? Van Halen without David Lee Roth or David Lee Roth yeah. without Van Halen? It wasn't a question of who's going to do better. It was like, who's going to suck more now, <laughs> you know, which I fucking thought, well, Van Halen still got Eddie. So there you go. That that was my money was on them for sure. After seeing that uh, that first Dave solo shit, so so uh, bottom line, 1984 and Diver Down were definitely a downtrend. Even though the guys on the um, on the Van Halen fan page don't like to hear that, but for me it was. And when we first started doing this episode, I had to load the uh, those two albums onto my iPod because the only ones that I had on there were the first four. Yeah. So that tells you something about where my head was at prior to this is that I, you know, those were the ones that I was going to play all the time. So really, those are the only ones that needed to be on there. So let's go. Let's go into the the the, the super kick ass ones. <laughs> go right. go back in time to fair warning. Uh, and this is fair the one warning. when we did our 
Van Halen episode previously, we both agreed that this was our favorite Van Halen uh, album. You know, there's, it's interesting because it seems to be, there's, it's a lot of people's favorite Van Halen album, but it wasn't Uh remotely one of the best selling ones. So it's interesting in that respect that it kind of seemed to get some appreciation later in the moment. It seemed like it was too much of a departure for a lot of people because it's kind of the darker album. It's the, as far as Van Halen goes with David Lee Roth as being dark, you know, it's, you have stuff on it like, um, you know, one foot out the door where that used one of the first times they start having synths in Van Halen songs. Um, right. You know. Less than two minutes song, which is yeah. fucking weird. But, but it's one minute 58. I put down in my notes for fair warning. Um, to me, I might have to change my mind. It's It might be a tie for this. But if someone had to tell me what the definitive Roth era Van Halen song is, I would say Unchained. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, Unchained is a is an awesome fucking song. It's got that that intro riff, which is so fucking so Eddie, right? And another thing too that some people probably don't know about Unchained is that it's got a drop D tuning, which means that the low E string is dropped down to a D instead of an E. So when you're sitting at home as a kid trying to figure out why you can't get this fucking <laughs> riff right is because he fucking, you know, did something again that motherfuckers weren't doing at that time, at least not in, in heavy metal or whatever, and changed the game. That whole flanger sound, that 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 fucking changed the game. And the way he would engage it and disengage it, it was just like, what the fuck is going on here? We never heard no shit like this before. And that was something that Eddie did on a consistent basis throughout the first four records. Give you some shit that you never heard before. Fuck yeah, man. Um, so, aside from that, uh, obviously Unchained is awesome. Uh, I'd say, you know, Hear About It Later is a real fun one. Um, more of that classic mm-hmm. Dave type of vibe there. What's interesting, I always think it's funny too, because um, with this album... There's been like both sides being like, oh, this is the darker Van Halen album. And they like you always hear that it was it was Eddie's idea or Dave's idea. Like, it's interesting that they both I think they both kind of came up with the same idea at the same time to kind of go in this different direction. And Dave, in his autobiography, said, you know, he went to Jamaica and all these places and seen all these third world countries and. He kind of had a different mindset going in to this record after that. Like he saw kind of the fucked up side of life in these countries that he'd never seen before. Because, you right. know, when you see poverty in the US, it's fucking nothing compared to like, you know, the slums of Jamaica or some shit. Like Totally. It's so it was kind of transformative for Dave. He was like, I don't want to write that many happy songs right now i saw some fucked up shit in these countries so that's where he came up with you know stuff like mean street you know which is funny because i always say mean streets but it's mean street (laughs) it is mean street i even wrote down mean streets one thing about that song it it's again another innovation because the intro of mean street is um some people think oh it's a tapping thing whatever it's actually not 
it's a slapping thing. Hmm. It's a very t- similar technique to what um, bass players who play funk and slap on their bass strings. When they do that, it's like you bounce your thumb off of the string and then it starts to ring out as you let it go. And that's what Eddie did on this. And again, it's something that I had never heard before, that's never been done before. And it was actually one thing that I was happy when I watched that Van Halen 3 uh, concert in Australia because I finally got to see him do it live. And he did it. And you're like, perfect. Oh. <laughs> yeah. like insane and you know and again that that song has the riff it's got harmonics it's got the palm muting which with the flanger which nobody ever did before nobody ever got that chunky that chung, 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 chung before eddie van halen so and this album you know again the rumors are that eddie wanted to make a more guitar oriented album because the ozzy album had come out with Rhodes. Rhodes was the best um, new guitarist in all the magazines and, you know, going up the list of best players. And Eddie was just like, oh, this guy again? (laughs) Yeah, fuck this guy. I got to fucking do something and fucking get my name back on the... And so that's when he decided to do this album, which has a lot of guitars on it and is just fucking great, you know, all all the way through. That's what's always good when you get a... A quiet rivalry like that because it pushes you know another dude to up his game Mm -hmm. and like you said you know they randy was the hot new shit on the block Mm -hmm. uh he wasn't new to eddie right right (laughs) eddie had already been fucking dealing with this guy as far as like guitar rivals since like the early 70s basically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you know quiet riot and van halen were kind of in the same scene yeah totally in those early days totally so and you know back then there was it was all rival bands and shit right for sure for sure they were the two big guys in la and eventually they were the two big guys in the world you know at that at that moment in time so yeah for sure um another thing about this album and dave again 
He's really at the top of his game as far as lyrics go. And again, with the, with the great lyricists, they just have this way of making a song. And the song obviously means something to them, but it could mean something different to you. And it could mean something different to somebody else because the lyrics are vague or you're not really positive what's it, what it's about. It might be about a car. It might be about a girl. It might be about, you know, uh, going down the street. And it's really, really difficult to do this, to achieve this. Because, like, when, when I was a kid and, and in a band and whatever, like I told you, Lenny would write about, you know, the realm. And I would write about, you know, getting fucked up and fucking, you know, doing shit like that. And our bassist, Tony, he was like the good time guy. And him and... Him and Ricky, his brother, were su- the ones that were super into Van Halen from a young age. And so he was just like, how come we can't like just write songs about... He used to like his skateboarding and shit. Yeah. So he's like, how come we can't just write songs about skating around and having fun? And I'm like, because that's fucking hard, dude. <laughs> that's fucking, you know, <laughs> to get to write a song about just having a good time that's not just super fucking cliche is really yeah. difficult. And Dave mastered it. Somehow, with with uh, having turns of phrase and ways of writing lyrics that really, probably he's the only one that knows what most of that shit is about. But somehow, we all sing along. Yeah, with the exception of dirty movies. We all, there, there's no... <laughs> For sure, yeah, there's, there's, there's always times We know what that. that's about. Yeah. But I, that's, that's, my, uh, that's my underrated song of the record is dirty movies. Yeah. Um, you know, it's got some of that classic Dave shit going on in there. It's got a really, it's a sinister vibe to it that you don't get in a lot of Van Halen songs. Like it's, it's, it's called Dirty Movies and it just feels dirty listening to it, you know. For sure.
sure. So it's that. And it's got one of those classic Dave raps, which, you know, like yeah. I said, something that, you know, no one else can really do. And that's what yeah. a lot of Van Halen is, is, you know, shit that no one else can really do, man. Like, you know, when it comes to uh, those heavy drums, when it comes to the Michael Anthony's backing vocals and, you know, a lot of people get on Michael Anthony for not being that dynamic of a bassist or whatever. And if you look at the bass tabs for some Van Halen songs, there are a lot of times when it stays on the same number for a while. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun. But it works. Yeah, that's what the <laughs> that's what the song calls for. And when your guitar player is going to be all over the place, somebody needs to hold it down. And that's what Michael Anthony did. His backing vocals are amazing. Some of the best that have ever been recorded. Yeah, like listen to Unchained Live, you know, from that Oakland Coliseum show. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the bass line for Unchained is just... Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, dun. Right. But it's so fucking gut rattling mm -hmm. when you listen to it live it's like it's is doing all it needs to do on that over a really sick riff and the two just mesh together perfectly so it's like you don't always you know you can't everybody can't be the virtuoso of the band right so so this is love was the other single right and it's got a classic um bass groove you know and basically mm -hmm. you know in the lyrics Dave falls in love again, you know, so it's uh, back to our um, classic theme. And again, this is another part of the band that made them more accessible to females, right? Besides the fact that, that girls love Dave, you know, and whatever, the lyrics, the hooks, all that stuff made it so if you went to see Van Halen, there's going to be half women, you know, which was not yeah. at the time... Um, very common for a hard rock show. You know, if you went and saw Black Sabbath, yeah. you weren't going to see that many chicks there. You know, there'd be chicks there, but not yeah. like Van Halen or the bands that took after Van Halen later on. Yeah, when you go, you know, going to a Sabbath show, like you said, you'll see chicks there, but they're going to be, you know, I don't want to say gnarly, <laughs> but... <laughs> They're going to be kind of more hard rock chicks, which is hot in its own right. But you go to Van Halen, it's like party girls. Right. You know, it's like, so it's like you're, if you don't have a chick that you brought, you got more of a chance of getting laid at a Van Halen show. Oh, than for like sure. Like a Sabbath show or something like that. If you just go and show up and don't be a fucking dweeb. For sure. And, you know, you find a group of chicks that all came on their own. That's the trick. And, right. You know, you got to find the, the, the trick with that, too, I think, is you got to find the eights. Because right. the nines and tens are going backstage. Right. <laughs> right. Without you. Yeah. Uh, that's like one of my... Uh, I used to go to this website that had a bunch of David Lee Roth quotes. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's one where... Uh, it was, I guess, a guy had thrown a drink at Dave or something on stage. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, man. He was like, hey, man, I see you right there. And after this show, you know what I'm going to do? Mm -hmm. I'm going to fuck your girlfriend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Or one was like, uh, hey, your girlfriend's waiting in the back. She's got a message for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and there you go. And, you know, and because of that, it's a funny thing because, like you say, this was the 80s, right? So... Um, 81, when Fair Warning comes out, that would make me like 12, right? And again, it was a different time and it wasn't as um, progressive as it is now. 
So one of the things that Dave really kind of sent me through a fucking loop was because it was like he did so many things and had so many looks and so many aspects of him that to me before that would have screamed gay. It's, it's gay. This shit's gay. But he so obviously wasn't gay. And so obviously was getting all the chicks that it really was just like, wait a minute, what is this? Is this is a new thing? It's like somehow chicks are attracted to this dude who's, you know, hitting these effeminate, sexy poses and, you know, dancing, which again, to uh, hard rockers of back then, dancing was not cool, right? Unless you were David Lee Roth. All that shit wasn't cool unless you were him. And nobody else. Yeah. Later on, a lot of dudes did the same thing. Like I said, fucking whether it was John Bon Jovi or Brett Michaels or fucking any of the um, other hair metal front men who took after David Lee Roth and, and, and expanded on everything David Lee Roth did. But before that, there was nobody in my, uh, in my listening that was like that. He was he was the uh, first dude to be. Um, I mean, he wasn't androgynous. He was very you know. He was obviously yeah. a man, but he just like you know the way the spandex and the buttless chaps and fucking all these weird things that only he could get away with because he was David Lee Roth. One of my uh, one of my favorite things about Dave from that era. I know this is a Van Halen tribute, and we might have to do a Dave just a David Lee Roth episode one time and go into this a little bit more, mm-hmm. but he, he had a whole system set up. The stage set up and everything was designed for him to pinpoint chicks in the audience right? and mess and send for the, uh, you know, security to go give him a backstage pass. Like he had a grid <laughs> set up. It'd be like, Oh, B three. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, so they could hunt down the, you know, B3 pink top, you know, something like that. Go give her a pass. Right. Know? So it's kind of a trip. But uh, and again, let's get again. Uh, we'd kind of be remiss if as as, um, you know, like I said, late 70s, early 80s rock star. And on these um, fan pages that we that we've been tripping out on lately. Boy, there's a lot of underage girls back there in them in them pictures with Dave and the rest of the band. It's like, jeez. But that shit's uncomfortable. You know what's actually you know what's more uncomfortable about it? It's I get that that was the time. And we don't know for sure right. if anything happened with them young, young girls. Right. Dave didn't seem like he was into that shit. He liked women. Yeah. Uh, but the du- like dudes will post that shit in those groups and like Look at Alex Van Halen, the ladies' man. And then a bunch of people are like, dude, how fucking old is that girl? This is weird. Yeah. So it's like the guys that share those pictures going like, man, these guys were pimps back in the day. Right. It's like, you seem like you kind of want to fuck 13 year olds, man. (laughs) But you you think about it, and it obviously must have been so commonplace that they didn't hesitate to take pictures with these chicks. You know, because nowadays a dude would be like, hey, no pictures. Fuck, you know, fuck that shit. You know, back then it wasn't, I guess, a thing, you know. So there you go. I guess that was one of the good things of Eddie getting married to Valerie, like, uh, you know, fairly early on. Right. His being a superstar was you don't have too many like 
unsettling images of Eddie Van Halen with uh, right girls of questionable age and you know legal status. Right, and you know, and he was. I mean, he was the musician. Like by his own words, he was a musician. Dave was a rock star, and that's why it worked out. Even though obviously Eddie was also a rock star. But and and Eddie was a rock star on stage, rock star in the studio, just maybe not such a big rock star backstage as Dave, you know. All right, so 1980, Women and Children First. So this is the first album that came out while I was kind of a fan of rock, right? Before that, I had been a you know fan of like pop and R and B and whatever. So by the time that I liked Van Halen. Van Halen 1, Van Halen 2, and Women and Children First were out. So from uh, Women and Children First and The Cradle Will Rock was on the radio. Um, Everybody Wants Some was on the radio. So these were kind of um, the first songs that when they came out, I was kind of current with them. And The Cradle Will Rock is just, to me, classic, classic, classic Van Halen from the... from the flanger sound, you know, um, the riff, you know, this shit was like young. It was, you know, it sounded youthful and aggressive. It was about um, being a fucking kid that's out of control and whatever, like a lot of us were that identified with that shit. So, yeah, I think, um, and the Cradle of Rock is my uh, big, like, wake up moment from this album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, classic. You know that I would say that, and everybody wants some. 
a real just massive you know just classic you know van halen there uh down to you know everybody wants some that's where you get that that mush mouth Dave, mm-hmm. you know, line where people in a moon beat. Yeah. He he just mush mouthed it. And he's in the book he said what the line's supposed to be. Right. Like that's like a lot of people looking for a moonbeam or something. But to him he's like, Yeah, man, no, we're we're riffing, we're improvising. You know, it's anybody could say the line. It's you you know yeah. it takes a certain je ne sais quoi to you know, just fuck it up and put it on the record. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he's right, because that, that's one of those things that only he could get away with. And, and all of those things make you cool, in a sense, that, you know, hey, pff, don't tell me how to fucking be cool. I already know, <laughs> you know? Now, yeah. I think uh, what's kind of sucks, not about, like, I don't think anything on this album sucks. What I think kind of sucks in general is I feel like Women and Children First is the, the overlooked Van Halen record. Mm-hmm. Like... It's like the first studio one. It seems to get the, aside from Diver Down, it seems to get the least amount of love from people. Like nobody hates it. It's just like everybody's got like a, a favorite record that's not this. Mm-hmm. But there's so many 
strong points to this and i wanted to say about this one you got it sucks that it's only a short little instrumental that leads into loss of control which is a fun song but torah mm-hmm. torah it has a really sabbathy sound it does. to the riff um, it does between that and dave's just scream on it it almost sounds like it could have been like an outtake from um um born again yeah you know, with you know a sabbathy riff and an ian gillen scream yeah so you got that you know uh this is the whiskey album uh you gotta right. take your whiskey home and <laughs> yeah which i which like i didn't realize when i was 12 that that song would eventually be about me yeah and it, i should have it should have been like a warning like something that i could have been like hey i should have recognized this but no yeah i mean it's a it's a universal song because it so universally happens that way and yeah it's a true song for sure <laughs> I really dig uh, what else. Uh, I really like Could This Be Magic. It's a fun little, you yeah. know, a fun little acoustic number. Right. Also, too, on, on those songs on Take Your Whiskey Home and Could This Be uh, Magic, it's um, Eddie showing you a, yet another different style that he could play. Look, oh, yeah, I can finger pick, too. Yeah, you know, I can play fucking blues intros, too. I can fucking... You know, he can really, he really shows you that he can do everything from classical playing to blues playing, finger picking, every, he can do all that shit. And, and he shows it to you. And I want to say Dave is also playing on, uh, could this be magic? Like he's doing the, uh, uh, rhythm, uh, acoustic on that. Right. Um, so we got that, and this is where I was saying, initially, I, if on the spot someone asked me what the definitive Rothair Van Halen song was, my gut instinct is, is to say Unchained. Mm-hmm. But, ah, oh, man, fucking Romeo Delight might also kind of sneak in there. Um, right. You know, it's Party Dave at his partiest. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm bringing whiskey to the party tonight and I'm looking for somebody to squeeze, you know. Hell yeah. So it's like, it's just got that that vibe. And man, they're just, I don't know, for an album that seems to get overlooked, it seems like the whole band was just in the fucking pocket Yeah. for this one, you know. Yeah, agreed. So Agreed on that one. Um, I also like Simple Rhyme as as a deep cut of another uh, another version of a Dave Love song, right? But... Uh, it's just cool and and really uh, a good way to end the album, you know. So um, yeah, so I like that. Another side note on this one is that this is the first album where Eddie starts fucking around and gets it's electric piano on this one, synthesizer on Fair Warning, keyboards on Diver Down, and then obviously all the keyboards on 1984. But the first two albums are the only ones where it just says Eddie Van Halen guitars and backing vocals. This is the yeah. first one where he's electric piano, backing vocals, guitars. So this is, again, another step in the evolution. And also, too, this is a funny thing because um, Nicolette Larson appears on this album. And I didn't know it, but um, Eddie Van Halen actually played on her album in 78. So it's one, like one of the first appearances of Eddie Van Halen was on this chick Nicolette Larson's album. And, uh, and yeah. so she returned the favor and did backing vocals on Could This Be Magic. So interesting little, little side note there. 
<laughs> the little yeah, that's cool. I had always wondered who that chick was that's on it. Like yeah, so yeah, that's a trip. I just found that out today because um, Lonnie. She got the Apple Music, and Apple, Apple Music actually has, like, a really cool, long tribute to Eddie Van Halen, and and it's really, they hit a lot of the major points, and if you have Apple Music, check that out, for sure. Yeah. All right, let's get to 1979, Van Halen 2. Van Halen 2. Now, like I say, this album had been out for a while already by the time I came, I came around to uh to this type of music i mean this one's got for uh someone who is not so into the the heavier side of things dance the night away is one of those definitive van halen songs. oh for sure uh you know dance the night away doa you got spanish fly in there starts with you're no good which is another cover it's okay. It, it's uh, again they Van Halenized it. It's got the um, the screams, Dave screams on it, uh, which again was another thing that was unique to Dave. Dance the Night Away's got that intro riff, which is again unusual in the sense that those aren't your usual hard rock heavy metal type of power chords. He's got uh, variations on the same chord, suspensions on the same chord, and he plays around with that very much like the only other guy who was doing it at that time was also Randy Rhodes, where, you know, like the chords in the verse music of Crazy Train are not usual chords that you learn on the first uh, in book one. You know, this is advanced shit, different shit, and um, really gives a unique sound really when you're a young kind of guitar player really hard to figure out how to play any of this shit because it's just like well what the fuck chord is that it's not exactly any of these chords it's some variation that he does kind of because his um he jams so much that his hand naturally goes to certain things and it just sounds in a way that nobody else sounds like especially at that time Once people learn these songs and then start incorporating that shit into their own shit, then it becomes more mainstream. But at the time, it was very, very new. Oh, totally. You know, it's, you know, Dance the Night Away is probably one of my favorite Van Halen songs. Um, 
It's funny because Van Halen 2 is one of the albums I don't listen to a ton also for some reason. Mm -hmm. For no particular, you know, I don't know why. I think it's just because it's, I feel like it's kind of in the shadow of Van Halen 1. Mm -hmm. There's just, to me personally, I love all of them. But I feel like, you know, in between Van Halen 1 and uh, Fair Warning, it's kind of like they're in the shadow of like my two favorite fucking two of my favorite fucking albums of all time. Right. So they kind of get like lost in the shuffle. Like if I'm going to listen to a Van Halen album just at random, it's either going to be Van Halen one or um, fair warning, you know, most of the time. Right. Um, but I mean, that to take nothing away from Van Halen two. If Van Halen two was Van Halen one, let's say if this is the first one to come out, mm -hmm. that's still fucking it's a great album um for sure but you know for sure it's got the it's just got the sophomore album i, I don't want to say slump because there ain't nothing bad on right it. it's just got that kind of like it's not as distinct enough from the first album right. to stand on its own right in to me like whereas after this one you know after we get women and children first and it's their first like full studio album mm-hmm where it wasn't, you know, before it was all their club shit that they laid down. Right. Women and Children First was the first one they wrote in studio. Right. Like pretty much completely. Exactly. So in a sense, like if you have, if you have 20 songs and you're going to put 10 of them on your first album, you're probably going to put the 10 best ones, whatever you think are the 10 best ones. And then the ones that are left over might not be as good or as strong top to bottom. And, and yeah, that, that kind of is what it is, but it's great still. Like Dance the Night Away, I mean, that's one of the great hooks of all time. That's one of the great backing vocals and choruses of all time. It would be really hard to say that, oh, you know, th this is not as good as something that's on Van Halen 1 if Van Halen 1 wasn't so fucking insane. But this album's got a lot of Spanish fly. I've said this before on here. But I'll probably continue to say it every time it comes up. Spanish Fly <laughs> was something that I would um, that would make people listen to that were haters of heavy metal or haters of hard rock or whatever that would say that, oh, it's just a bunch of noise. Those guys can't fucking play, whatever, whatever. I mean, man, this is Eddie Van Halen. This motherfucker can play. And there's nothing that you can say that would, that, listen, you know. one of the things that I would show people and it, and it's so um so insane and what people don't realize is that um you know of course everyone loves eruption and 
everyone, you know, is goes insane for it, and rightly so. But Spanish flies so much harder to play, so much harder to pull off, and and uh, especially since it's on acoustic guitar, which is already harder to play. And he just um, he's bringing techniques that are unknown to hard rock and heavy metal at that time, and just pulling it off with such virtuosity that just for a short little, it's one minute. That's how long it is, and. It's just one minute of fucking brilliance. You know, that's uh, I tell my wife that too sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see? There you go. <laughs> Who says big things don't come in small packages? No. Yeah, no. It might be one minute, but it's one minute of brilliance. <laughs> no, um yeah, it's it's an incredible, you know, it's a great album. Um like I said, part of the problem too is it uh, it follows kind of the same formula that Van Halen one does. Right. You got your cover. You got your Eddie Van Halen um, instrumental. So it's kind of got a, it. Kind of hits some of the same uh, same bullet points, I guess is the way to call it. But it's still a kick ass display from Eddie, you know. Right. And the rest of the band. Right. On uh, on this one, there's a couple of more things I wanted to hit. On Somebody Get Me a Doctor, it's more of that. It's kind of like where it's fast, but it's more than fast. It's like high energy. It's like you just get the feeling of energy coming mm-hmm. from it, which which again, in 79, there, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of music that was like that, you know? Uh, you got to remember like bands that were out at that time, like, you know, Aerosmith and a Boston foreigner, you know, they didn't play shit like this. This shit was so much more frantic and so much more, um, it it gave you a boost, you know? And on uh, Somebody Get Me a Doctor, also, he does this thing where it's a a classic solo to me and it's it's non-linear. You know, uh, most people are used to, like when you hear three notes played fast in a row, in, in a song, in, in a guitar solo, they're usually three notes on the same string, you know, and it's, you know, some shit like that. On this one, it's like nonlinear. He's jumping strings and putting notes that would never go together together in a way that is just like, that blows you away and using harmonics with a practical use, not just as a sound effect, but as a rip, as a lick, as a run, and really um, brand new, brand new, brand new shit. The other one that I wanted to hit on to is Bottoms Up, because again, it's a fun, classic Van Halen style, and again, Dave, like, kind of morphs into a teenager. You know, and he always does that. He's always talking about, you know, teacher's going to keep me after school or, you know, like he's in school or like he's, a you know, and Bottoms Up really just catered to our teenage, you know, yeah, Bottoms Up, you know, at the beach <laughs> and, you know, looking at this chick and whatever, you know, and that's Dave. You know, he's young. He's He just got out of school. School's out for the summer. He's at the beach with his toes in the sand. It just appealed to us at that time because that's what we were either doing or wishing we could do. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, he's uh, it's definitely, he's good at capturing that vibe. And, you know, so these are a lot of songs that, you know, 
You're not entirely certain when they're even written. You know, he might have been a teenager when he wrote the lyrics initially. You know, they've been a, they're a band since like high school. Right. Just about. Yeah, pretty so. much. Pretty much. So, yeah. So, yeah. And, and you don't really think about that when it comes to the songs come out a little bit later. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. But they still like captured it. And you still, you never got the feeling that. Dude, why is this old guy fucking singing about high school? You know, why is what you know, kind of like kind of like a nine hundred two one zero moment where, dude, that guy's forty, you know, fucking yeah. or whatever. It never happened with Van Halen. They never seemed old until they were old, you know. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about Weezer. It's like stop singing about how you're not popular in school. You're almost fifty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, school now is like backstage at a festival or something, and they're still not popular. Yeah. And then the rest of the songs on here, you know, uh, Women in Love and Beautiful Girls, DOA, they're all great songs. They don't stand out as much as the other ones. But like you said, on, uh, on any other album or by, you know, that's not the follow-up to one of the greatest albums of all time, they would definitely be standout songs. It's just that there's so many cool songs that they don't particularly stand out as being cooler than the other ones. But yeah, man, uh, I used to have the tape, you know, Van Halen 1 recorded on one side, Van Halen 2 recorded on the other side, and that shit used to play in a loop, man. All the songs over and over and over and over and never got tired of it, never got bored of it. Um, It was, you know, this was a fucking band on the rise that there was there didn't seem to be like anything that could stop the Eddie Van Halen was gonna fucking be ultimately the best guitar player in the world if he wasn't already. David Lee Roth was gonna be the best frontman in the world if he wasn't already. You know, um just a fucking great fucking band. You know, and they were from Southern California just like just like us. You know, it was so fucking easy to identify with these yeah, uh, I just want to touch on uh, before we wrap up on uh, "Women in Love" is a song that I don't think could get away with nowadays. It's like <laughs> you know, it's Dave writing about like what these chicks like each other and not me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's right. You know, it's kind of a it's a song about how he's perplexed by lesbians. Yeah, really. You know, <laughs> and and there's a lot there's a lot of songs of in in these among these songs that we talked about. That are very, you know, like uh, like dance the night aways. You know, she's she's trying to convince her that she's old enough, you know, yeah. or whatever. And there's a lot of songs that are like, hey, you know, make up your mind. You know, you gonna do this or not? You know, or uh, or don't say no. You know, uh, show your love. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of that, and that's just the way shit was. You know, because I think that in those days, you know. Turning a maybe into a yes was an art form, you know, and yeah. that's, you know, obviously an art form that Dave was good at. And so that's why he wrote about it all the time. And, and, you know, that's, you know, with our rock stars, you got to take the good with the bad. I, I don't think that anything that Dave or ever did was not even near as creepy as some of that Jimmy Page shit. Yeah. Or some of that other shit that other motherfuckers did. So, you know, hey. So, anywho, um, we kind of had a powwow. The powwow is going to be edited out of this. You guys don't need to hear when we have to have, like, stop and take notes with each other here. Right. But uh, 
we're already over time on what we're planning on doing. So there is going to be a part three of our tribute to Van Halen. And it's just going to be just jumping into Van Halen one, because that is the fucking album of all albums. So we're going to spend an entire episode talking about this one record. We're going to do a deep dive on Van Halen one. Uh, we may talk about, you know, some of the history of the band and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Maybe talk about some of their, you know, their yeah. times when they're the backyard band or something like that. But, right. Uh, I'll, I'll also probably get into some more technical things about what Eddie does and what makes what makes it so different from what came before. Um, and so, yeah, that that should be fun. I mean, I'm looking forward to that one already. Yeah, me too. Uh, well, hopefully... You know, because of the way the pandemic has us recording, we don't get our episodes out as quickly as we want because Frog's got to edit two, tr- two two audio tracks instead of one, uh, so that double the double the fun there. Um, the cool hopefully- thing, as far as that, is that um, we got a new mic going, got a new laptop going. The sound is better. Last time we didn't have any drop offs, which made it yeah. a lot harder to edit. So this should be, hopefully we'll, that'll happen again, and this one will be yeah. easier to edit like the last one was. So hopefully we'll be able to start cranking them out a little bit faster, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm figuring, the, you know, the Van Halen 1 episode is solid chance that's the last episode of 2020. So <laughs> Probably, that's, yeah. But all right. We might be able to do like a 2020 wrap-up uh, episode or something like that and start fresh that'll be a quick one the new year yeah that'll be a quick one <laughs> what did you do 2020 nothing the yeah. end be like there's, <laughs> two, next there's two alcatrazes okay <laughs> <laughs> the alcatraz <laughs> yeah all right man so uh so i guess we're gonna wrap it up here until the next one this is me big frog me diamond michael lee castleberry yeah and we are out
cheese stand. I want more. No one's above suspicion.